When I was growing up, we had this kid in our neighborhood, Brent. Every neighborhood has a Brent, the little weird kid. Little weird kids are going to grow up and be uh, either the Unabomber or multi-multi-billionaires. There's no in-between. No in-between. The Unabomber or multi-multi-billionaires. Brent was just weird. I don't know why it was weird. He was just weird. He was into weird things. And then we got in high school, and Brent decided he was going to play football. Brent had never played football before. My mom and Brent's mom were friends. My mom got this genius idea where she didn't have to come pick me up every night from football that we would switch nights and carpool with Brent. Which in my stupid teen arrogance meant I had to be seen with Brent. My mom must have seen the look on my face when she told me this plan. She asked me that question that you don't want to answer. Because if you're honest... You're going to be in trouble. And if you lie, she's going to know you're lying because moms know all things. She told me, she said, you have a problem being seen with Brent. I begin the process of stating my case. My mom said something that even as a teenager stopped me dead in my tracks. She said, what makes Brent so unlovable? that he doesn't get the same respect that every other kid gets. One of the rare times in my life, I'm 46 years old, that I was speechless. I didn't have a good answer. I had no answer for her. That word, unlovable, stuck with me. I'd never heard that word before, the word unlovable. And i got to be honest with you, in a lot of ways it changed my life. As I hit high school, towards the end of my high school, I kind of became hell on wheels. Everywhere I went was trouble. Everywhere I went, things that were not supposed to be happening were happening. And suddenly, I became the unlovable kid to a lot of my friends' parents. I was the kid they weren't allowed to hang out with because if you hung out with me, you got in trouble. And it's funny how the roles reverse. When you become the unlovable kid, not a lot of fun. Unlovable, that word changed my mind. And I think that was a huge part of me changing the course of my life and devoting so much of my life to those that our society says is unlovable. I I don't know why it is everywhere I go and wherever I do, I end up with a group of people that for whatever reason, society looks at and says, man, they don't fit the norm. They're unlovable. I, I love that Brantley Gilbert song where he says, the ones who don't trust anybody, trust me. There's just power in being that person, and that's kind of been my path. I don't don't do much right. When it comes to being a pastor, I probably break every rule there is in being a pastor. So many of you feel the need to 
Say you go to church here and then explain why you go to church here. I'm okay with that. I get it. I don't understand it. I wouldn't explain anything. We're eating out last night. And this lady walks up to us. Are you Gary Lamb? And I said, I am. Uh, Are these your kids? And I said, they are. Oh my gosh, those are your oldest. They're getting so big. I said, no, those are, those are my oldest. I have a 21-year-old and an 18-year-old. Oh, I was, I was wondering. It's been 14 years since we've seen you. And I said, oh, has it? Yeah, we, we used to go to church with you in the movie theater. And I said, oh, okay. And they start naming individual seats. I mean, you remember when you did, like things I didn't really remember. Like, you remember the time the motorcycle? And I was like, no, that sounds awesome though. Like, tell me more about it. Maybe I'll recycle that here. And she was so nice and so complimentary. But then like everybody, she had to give the add-on. You know, we all make mistakes. What? God forgives you. Well, it's been 14 years, lady. Thanks. Hey, by the way, my two kids that are sitting here don't really know what you're talking about, so would you shut up? That's not what I said. That's what I was thinking. And then you know how she just wouldn't keep on? Like, You know how sometimes you feel like, man, are you just going to keep getting deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper? You broke our heart. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't even know who you are, but I'm sorry your heart was broken. And it was just awkward. We're with friends. They have no idea if our friends know anything about that. They do. They know everything about it. But it was just awkward. And it was funny to me. I thought, why can't we give a compliment without the add-on? You know what I mean? You did so much for our family. My kids are in church today. What's my church today because you still awesome. But you become the unlovable one. <laughs> As Christ's followers... We have a calling to love the unlovable. I, I think that's what's so powerful about that song, whether it's the part talking about Martin Luther King Jr. or the part talking about Jesus, whatever you want to say about those people, those people loved people. They loved those that society deemed unlovable. Jesus literally got classified as the friend of sinners. As an insult, they would mock him and say, he hangs out with drunkards and gluttons. Look at him. He loves those that society, that the religious of the day, for whatever reason, deemed were unlovable. And we're called to love those people. And it sounds good. And every church will tell you that they love everyone. And as a matter of fact, every person will tell you they love person. What they really mean is we love those who look like us. And those who act like us. And those who have a worldview like us. And those who vote like us. And those who are at the same social standing as us. It's easy to love people that are like us. It's hard to love people that you don't necessarily like. It's hard to love people when maybe you don't agree with their life decisions. It's hard to love people when maybe you don't agree with their worldview. It's hard to love people when they've wronged you. Somebody say amen. But we're to model the life of Jesus. He's our example. The world is not our example. 
The preacher, thank God, is not our example. The greatest person you know, as great as they are, is not your example. As Christ followers, we're Christ followers because we follow the teachings of Jesus. And you cannot read, you cannot study, you cannot follow Jesus without seeing that he loved people. Broke, busted, and disgusted people, he loved them. Those that society deemed unclean, he loved them. Check this out. He loved people right where they were. Not where they should have been. Thank God that he loves those type of people. Because I am those type of people. David said he picked me up out of the miry clay and he set my foot on a solid rock. Everyone here today, if you're not unlovable today, and chances are real good you are, you've been unlovable. And God loved you. He loved you in your hurt. He loved you in your habits, and he loved you in your hang-ups. He loved you in your addiction. He loved you in the muck and the mire. He loved us in the midst of our sin. God is love. Contrary to what society says, you can love without approving. Not only did he love, those that were unlovable were drawn to him. He wasn't like them. He didn't live like them. He didn't have the view they had, yet they were drawn to him. Why were they drawn to him? Because when they came to him, they felt a genuine caring and love from him. He was willing to give his life. Not only was he willing to give his life, he gave his life for all of mankind. God is love. And he left us with the commandment in Mark 12, 31, that is so simple yet so hard. It says, love your neighbor as yourself. That's hard. It doesn't sound hard. It doesn't look hard, but it's hard. It's hard. I had a neighbor one time. I did not love. (laughs) I had a neighbor that, dare I say, I couldn't stand. I didn't trust him. I thought he was rude. He was inconsiderate. His yard was a mess. You've heard me talking about it. He had a limousine. They just sat out in the front yard all day long. Limousine. It was weird. It was just odd. He was loud at night. He had this dog that he kept out that would bark all night. He spoke perfect English until I confronted him, and then he spoke no English. For five years, I lived next to the man, and it was a struggle. And I would try to justify the teachings of Jesus. I would try to explain them away. Say, well, Jesus never had to deal with limo man. Okay? He didn't have to deal with the stupid stuff I dealt with. Because if he didn't deal with that person, he'd have never said, love your neighbor. He did. He said, love your neighbor. It's the awesome thing about Jesus is he did deal with stupid people. He wasn't just a God in heaven. He came to earth in human form. And he lived life like you and I did. And you think we have enemies and you think we have critics. He had critics so much that they killed him. And they mocked him. 
And everywhere he went, they would show up just to try to discredit him. He dealt with people all the time, yet he loved them. See, we live in a day and time where love has become acceptance. That's not love. You can say you don't agree with someone and still love them. It's all in how you do it. I know that's a hard concept for some of you, Kylie. But it can be done. Someone asked me one time, they said, man, how does Kylie stay here? You're ruthless on him. You know why? Because I love him. Be ruthless on him. He's ruthless to me too for the keep asking myself over and over. I've been doing this gig now for 20, 20, ah, next year's 25 years I've been preaching. It's a long time, 25 years. And I've asked myself for 25 years, how did Jesus love unlovable people? Because it's not easy. It's much easier to hate. I'm just going to be honest. Anger and grudge and bitterness, as much as it takes a toll on you, it almost just comes natural. It does for me anyway. Love is work. To have peace. And to love people and to be there for people. It's hard. It doesn't come natural for me. Maybe you got it together and it comes natural for you. When someone does me wrong or does my family wrong, it doesn't come natural to me. It's hard. But I think Jesus understood two important truths, and it helped him in this area. I think the first thing he understood was that everyone is created in God's image. Every person. That person that you can't stand, that person you don't agree with, that person you don't like, at the end of the day, they were created in God's image. This is vital. Because if we're worthy of love, so is everyone else. Because we serve a God who's the creator and he created us and he created them and God doesn't make junk. God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't make do-overs. I tell people all the time and every time I say this, I have probably said it over a thousand times in 25 years and a thousand times somebody gets offended. Your mommy and daddy might have been on a hot date, went parking at Lover's Lane, jumped in the back seat and you might have been a whoops. But you were not a whoops to God. God was not surprised. God was not taken off guard. He formed you, and he created you, and he made you. He told Jeremiah, he said, I knew you in the womb, and I set you apart for greatness. God knew you before your parents knew you. God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't make mess-ups. Bible says in Psalms 139, he said, I praise you, this is David. He said, because I am fearfully and I am wonderfully made. He said, your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. The reality of the situation is is that every person is created in the image of God. I didn't say every American was created in the image of God. I said every person was created in the image of God. He formed us. He shaped us. There's nobody else exactly like you. That's how creative our God is. He designed you. He gave you circumstances that no one else went through. He gave you DNA that no one else dealt with. And when it comes to loving people, when you look at them and you realize it's God's creation, it's just a little bit easier to say, man, God doesn't make mistakes. And to love that person. The second thing that just helps me, and I think Jesus, 
It's because of sin, we're all unlovable. There is no one perfect except one, you're not him. We all mess up. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Guess what that word all means in the original language? Someone told me one time, they said, I just don't like the English version of the Bible. It doesn't break it down. Well, I don't speak a lot of Greek and I don't speak a lot of Hebrew, so we're going to stick with the English version of the Bible. But guess what the word all means? All. Not 99%. Not 99.5%. Not 99.9%. It means all, 100%, for all have sinned. All fall short of the glory of God. The glory of God is perfection, and we don't line up. You don't have to teach a baby how to sin. What? Babies are sneaky liars. There's a kid over in the nursery today crying. I don't know who he belongs to. He's fine now. Crying. That kid wasn't hungry. That kid wasn't hurt. Emily goes to pick that kid up. He stops crying. He was lying. He was manipulating. He know if I cry, someone's going to pick me up. We never had to teach Luke when he did something wrong and ask him if he did something. No. How'd you know that? You're lying. How did, no, I didn't teach him to lie. And the fact that he's lying knows that he did what he did was wrong, man. It's just natural. People say we're born good. No, we're born sinners. That's why we need a God. (laughs) We're all unlovable. It was all I could do to look at that lady last night and be like, man, thank you so much. You know that applies to you and all your issues too? And I, I didn't know any of your issues, but if I did, I'd just start naming them. We tend to judge or determine whether we like people or not. Don't miss this. We tend to judge or determine we like people whether or not they sin differently than us. You heard me tell the story. I had been in church about two weeks. I was new to church. And the church I went to was having revival. Anybody ever been to revival? Midweek revival. It's summer revival, spring revival. We're going to plan the week that God shows up. We're going to bring in the preacher who has preached this same message all over the country. And we're going to talk about how great he is because he knows every hook, line, and joke we're going to enter in because he's preached it a thousand times. And I'm at Walmart before revival, and there's this guy in front of me. Big old dude. Big, uh, big old dude. About 450. And he's got dress slacks on, a button-up shirt, and he's buying a tie. And I guess the tie ring up wrong. And I'll never forget, I'm in line, and this guy was so disrespectful to the lady. Are you stupid? He's belligerent to her. So you're not ringing up right, go get a manager now. Obviously, you're incompetent. And, I, and I'm listening, but I'm like 18, 19 at the time. So I'm listening, but I'm not really paying much attention. And he leaves. I show up for revival. Song leader gets up, and that's kind of why you were singing back then. And they had a quartet of four people. Here's how the quartets were. They all matched. And the truth was only one person in the quartet could sing. But the other ones had good hearts. They had good hearts. 
Well, they love the Lord. Well, they can't sing. Let them go be a greeter. People sing and hoop and holler. And I remember our preacher got up. He God, I'm so excited. Getting the crowd all fired up, shooting off. I can't do it. My voice is tired today. He wouldn't tell anybody they were going to burn a hell at this point. He starts talking about the guest preacher. It's the godliest man I know. And I'll be danged if it wasn't Fat Boy from Walmart gets up on stage. Now, son, you think I'm outspoken now. I got Jesus in me for 25 years now. 28 years. I sat there mad as a hornet. And that man preached, I'll never forget. Now, this is, so 20 years ago was what, 2000-something? I'll never forget. He preached against rock and roll music. 2002 now. And you listen to that rock and roll music? Some of you still listen to Temptations. And I was like, Temptations? I think that from like back when Doug was a kid, like the 30s? I didn't think that at the time because I didn't know Doug. That's what I'm thinking now. And then he was like, it's 2002 now. Like, I, I can close my eyes and remember. Because like, he was so fat as Ty came down to like right here. And he was like, and some of you are listening to that newfangled rock and roll and you're listening to the Bee Gees. I think it's 2002. Like, who's listening? Are the Bee Gees still alive? Like, who's listening? I didn't even know who the Bee Gees were. I had to go home and get on an AOL dial-up. Like Google to, I don't think it was Google. It was like, uh, I don't remember what it was, Geosites. I had to figure out who the Bee Gees were. He preached against drinking, rock and roll. I remember he preached, I remember he preached against Blockbuster Video. Well, he didn't preach against gluttony. I said, he didn't preach against gluttony. So after the service, it was weird. We, we kind of, in this movement of churches, you idolized the preacher and they would sign your Bible. It was the stupidest thing in the world. Can you sign my Bible? Rock star. Fat, mean rock star. So I walked to him and said, hey, you remember me? No, brother, I don't. I said, I was behind you today at Walmart. I said, man, you're a jerk. My preacher come unglued. He's, I said, no. I said, man, you are a jerk. I got, it got so bad that he didn't come back the rest of the week to preach revival. I caused such a scene. So I've been causing scenes since I was like 19. But he was a fake. He didn't love people. Judged people. He, 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 he's going to preach against blockbuster video, but he ain't going to preach against a buffet. We don't know what to do when people sin differently than us. So we judge and we tend to judge or determine whether we like people or not based on they sin like we do. The reality is we're all sinners. We all mess up. Someone said, do you think there's certain sins that are greater? I do not. I think there's different consequences for different sins. Sin, sin. Consequences might be different. But there ain't some combination where God's like, you know, you still two Snicker bars and a Capri Sun that don't line up to, uh, you know, smoking meth. It's not how it works. Different consequences. I'm going to slap on the wrist for the two whatchamacallits and the Capri Sun. I might OD on the meth. There's different consequences. 
But everyone's sin, everyone's messed up. There isn't a person in this room who couldn't, as a matter of fact, oh, this is good. There's not a person in this room who's not unlovable to someone. I want you to think about the nicest person you know. Somebody they're the villain to. There's someone who doesn't like them. There's someone who's done something to them. Or there's someone who's done nothing to them, but they've heard things and decided they don't like them before they know them. Christine was telling me about this kid. She goes, you know that little girl that so-and-so used to bring to church all the time? I said, no. She described her. I was like, oh, yeah, I remember. She used to come every week. Yeah, her mom won't let her come to church anymore. She found out you were the pastor. I said, who's her mom? She gives me the name. I said, I, I don't know that name. So I get on Facebook. i never seen this woman in my life. I don't know this woman. I don't have any idea who this woman is. But she's heard something. And instead of getting her lazy butt out of bed and taking her kid to church on Sunday, she won't even let someone else take her kid because, man, I'm a preacher. Everyone's sinners. We've all messed up. So when it comes to loving people, you just got to realize, man, yeah, they messed up, and yeah, it hurts because they messed up against me, but how many people, I mean, I have hurt some people in my life. I'm not proud of it. I'm not bragging on it. I wish I could change it. And I'm not above doing it again. It just happens. The reason we're to love the unlovable is simple. God said, love your neighbor as yourself. Even when people are unlovable. Again, it's easy when they're lovable. There's been many times my wife has said, I love you. I do not like you right now. But I love you. That's love when they don't like you and they still love you. How do we do it? We understand the reasons everyone's created the image of God, everyone screws up, but how do we love the unlovable? It's hard. I've learned some things over the years. I haven't always been great at it, so let me preface that. But I've learned some things over the years. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to learn to see people and not problems. I want you to stare at that for a moment. I want you to take out your phone if you take notes, and I want you to take a picture of it. I want you to process, do it, because the problem is so many times when we have an issue with someone, it's not the person, it's the problem. There's a great story in Luke. Jesus walking, it says, soon after Jesus was called to account of name, the disciples in a large crowd. So Jesus walking along, a large crowd is walking along with him. They're walking down a road. They're walking into the town. As he approached the town gate, you got to remember in these days there was walls around every city. So the only way into a city, so like say you're going into Canton, the only way to get into Canton would be to go through the gate. The wall was there for protection. So everybody came in the same way and everybody left the same way. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. They didn't bury people in the town, they buried them on the outskirts of town. When someone died, the entire town would gather together and they would march out to where they were going to bury them. So Jesus is rolling in. You see Jesus, he has a large crowd everywhere he goes. The Bible said the masses followed. So Jesus got his large crowd coming in, and the funeral's taking place, and there's a large crowd going out. It's probably at the end of the day because they didn't bury people to the end of the day after they had done their work for the day. The sun's probably going down, and there's about to be a collision on the road. Jesus' crowd's rolling in, funeral crowd's rolling out. 
Then he went up. Oh, when he looked, go back to verse 12, Xander. As he approached town gate, that person was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow. So this woman's lost her only son, and her husband's already passed away. A large crowd from the town was with her. Check this out. When the Lord saw her, not when he saw the dead body, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. He said, don't cry. Jesus didn't see the inconvenience. They'd probably been traveling all day. They were coming into town, probably going to try to find a place to stay for the night, find a place to get cleaned up, find a place to have a meal. But they couldn't do any of those things so the funeral was over because now everybody in town has went out. He didn't see the inconvenience. He didn't see the inconvenience of having to get off the road while the funeral came through. He saw the mother. He saw the pain in her eyes. He saw the heartbreak in her eyes. He didn't see the problem of the situation. He saw the person. And when we begin to see people as people, it's hard not to love them. Then he went up and he touched the son, touched the bear, and they were carrying him on. And the bear stood still. He said, young man, I see you get up. And the dead man sat up and began to talk and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Here's what I want you to realize. Put that point back up, Xander. When we start seeing people as people, it'll change your perspective on people. That waitress today, who maybe doesn't jump through the hoops you think she ought to jump through, maybe she's got some things going on in her life. Maybe she's a single mom and she's doing all she can to run as many tables as she can to make sure she can go home and get some school supplies for her kid tomorrow. You don't know. But you're seeing the problem that your food took an extra three minutes. Mm-hmm. Instead of seeing the person. When you're in the checkout line and the lady trying to ring up your tie and it don't go up at the right price. Guy never stopped back all those years ago and thought, man, maybe it's nothing she can do about it. Maybe it's just wrong on the barcode. I'm sure she didn't type in the wrong code. Instead of seeing the people. See, we need to realize that everybody is somebody, somebody. That person you want to cop an attitude with has a child somewhere. They have a mother somewhere. They have a spouse somewhere. And when you begin to see people as people instead of political views, when you begin to see people as people instead of social standing, when you begin to see people instead of uh, skin color, when you begin to see people as people instead of addictions. We live in a day and time where we want people to identify themselves by their screw-ups. You've heard me say this before, I'm a big AA guy, I'm a big NA guy, that's why we allow them to meet here. But my biggest issue with it is, I'm Gary, I'm an alcoholic. Why are we going to identify ourselves by what we used to be? What we still are? I get it. You don't want to forget where you came from, I understand that. I'm not questioning I'll question, I don't care. I'm Gary, I screw up. I don't identify myself by my sin. I'm Gary, I'm a child of God. I'm a person. I breathe and I live. And when you begin to see people as people, when you begin, here's an amazing thing. Our counselor tells us all the time, when was the last time you stopped and you put yourself in someone else's shoes? It changes the perspective. Because we tend to only see things from our eyes. We only tend to see things from our point of view. We only tend to see things as it affects us. Instead of stopping back and putting ourselves in other people's shoes, why are they going through that? 
Someone recently came to me, man, so-and-so seems off lately. I said, okay. I don't like what they're, I don't like how they're acting. Okay. I said, well, is that the norm for so-and-so? I've never seen them be like that. I said, well, maybe they're going through something. I don't know. I said, well, have you asked? I said, no, you'd rather just gripe about them. So many people, <laughs> scratch that. Everyone here is fighting demons you don't know about. Everyone here is going through battles you don't know about. It might be career battles, addiction battles, financial battles, relational battles, mental battles, emotional battles. Everybody is somebody, somebody. But we tend to only look at it through our point of view. How does it affect us? How does it inconvenience us? How does it make us feel? And when we make everything about us, it's hard to love others. Let me give you a newsflash. Life is not about you. You might think it's about you. I'm preaching to myself right now. You might think the world revolves around you. I got kicked off my neighborhood Facebook page. I'm back in now. Christine got me back in. But my neighbor is on the HOA, and she said on the meeting, they just said that Gary thinks this is his world, and everybody in this neighborhood ought to do what he says. I'm like, yeah! Well, guess what? When they booted me, I found out real quick it ain't all about what Gary wants to do in his world. So now I'm on there being nice until I'm not. No, just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. It's not about us. It's funny. In our neighborhood, we have this little stretch of flat road, so that's kind of our neighborhood. You know, the four, five or six houses on that stretch of the road. And everybody in those five or six houses is going through something. They're fighting some kind of battle. You'd never know it driving into our neighborhood. It's a nice neighborhood. Beautiful lawns and beautiful houses and nice cars in the driveway. And on the fake external things that we put stock in, boy, they look like they got it all together. But they're all going through something. Oh, including the lamb house. Matter of fact, we might be the most vocal about that we ain't got together. Like we, we just throw our crazy out on the front porch. You know what I mean? I don't think they know what to do with the crazy preacher. But they're all battling. All of them are going through things. Because you know what? Life's a battle. Life's not easy. The Bible says in this world you will have trouble. This biblical message of man, when you follow Christ, everything becomes great, is a lie from the pits of hell. God never said that. You don't enter into a relationship with Christ and everything become great and all your problems go away. But, man, we've got to learn to see people as people. I remember a year and a half ago, there was some political stuff that was going on. And I picked up the phone and called some friends of mine who I did not agree with. And we didn't fight. We didn't argue. I said, hey, I want you to do me a favor. I said, I, I don't understand how you can believe what you say you believe. 
I want to say, I think you're an idiot. But guess what I didn't? I said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to shut up. Would you explain it to me? This person explained it to me. Boom, 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 boom. When they got done explaining, guess what? I still did not agree with their stance. But I understood their point of view better. Based on how they were raised. Based on what they had been through in their life based on the circumstances in their life, based on their social standing and the color of their skin, I understood at least why they believed what they believed. Two days later, a person calls me back. And thinking about our phone conversation. I said, have you? Yeah. I wasn't expecting you to call and ask me that. I said, okay. He said, I got to know now. Why don't you believe that? I said, okay. I said, you're going to sit there and listen like I did with you? 100%. He went 30 minutes. I went for an hour and a half. And he sat there and he listened. And I said, here's why I believe, bam, bam, bam. We got done. He said, man, I don't agree. But I see why you would believe what you believe now. And I would see why you would interpret it that way. It was amazing when two people saw each other as people. There used to be a day and time that you could agree to disagree. Can't do that anymore. You know why? Because we see problems and we have to be right. We have to be right. I am right. I don't know I don't have to be right. And I don't mean that cocky. I mean, I, 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 my convictions are my convictions. But I don't expect your convictions to be my convictions. I don't have to fight with you nonstop on it. That person who I went back and forth with, I'd take a bullet for that person. We've had great discussions over the years on these kind of issues. I don't see him as his political views. I don't see him for who he voted for. I see him as a person, and it's a lot easier for me to love someone when I see them as a person. I'll do a funeral today. I'll do a funeral today that over the years, to be honest with you, the family's been real good to me and the family's been real ugly to me. Depends on what the weather's like that day. Sometimes I'm the greatest pastor in the world. and Sometimes, man, I was the devil and they left this church 27 different times. Matter of fact, I'll do a funeral today. There will be people in this funeral today that I've not spoke to in 14 years. But guess what? I don't care. They're people to me. I'm going to stand up and I'm going to honor that lady. Why? Because her son will be in the crowd. And her daughter will be in the crowd. And her grandchildren will be in the crowd. And it doesn't matter whether she was right, whether she was wrong. That's still mama. And that's still the sister. And that's still the grandmother. She's still a person and she deserves to be honored in such. I could be real prideful when they called me. Toker, I said, hey, guess who asked me to come to the hospital today? I could have been real spiteful and been like, hey, come to the hospital. Last thing I ever heard from them was about three years ago and they wanted nothing to do with me. Now I rearranged my entire schedule. I'm not saying I've got I'm not saying that to brag on me. Please don't take it that way. 
I'm simply saying I have learned to look at people and not problems. The Bible says every man must give an account for himself. I'll give an account for my behavior. The Bible says as much as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. Now, you can't live at peace with all people, but as much as it depends on you, I'm responsible for the peace. And when I choose to look at problems, it's hard for me to love. When I choose to look at people, it's a lot easier for me to love. So not only do we see people, not problems, we serve people regardless of whether they deserve it. We serve people regardless of whether they deserve it. Because here's the deal. Love is about all I know about education or English or literature or whatever. I don't even know what you English. Proper cynic structure. I don't know what you call it. Love is a verb. It's an action. You can tell someone you love them all day long, then it's dead. Or you can show them you love them. Jesus showed people he loved them. He put his love into practice. The Bible says faithful, that works is dead. Every church in this county, every church in this county, Every church in this county will tell you they love people. And they might think they love people. And they might believe they love people. And they might think it makes good preaching to say they love people. The problem is they ain't loved on no people in years. They haven't served people in years. They want to know why they're dying. They're dying because they're four and no more getting older and dying off and they ain't loved on any new people and brought them into the family. People don't care what you know, do they know that you care? And I know that's so cliche, but it's so true. When I was in Bible college, we had to go around, it's called door-to-door soul winning. You would knock on doors. Here's how it worked. People would answer the door. People you didn't know. People who were in the middle of dinner. People who didn't want to be inconvenienced. Hey, I'm Gary Lamb. I'm from such and such church over here. I'm busy. I understand you're busy. Can I ask you a question? Listen, listen, I didn't know this person. There was no relationship with this person. And if you were to die today, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven or would there be some doubt? That was how they won people to Jesus. They wonder why it didn't work. Because there was no connection. Have I ever told you a story about picking up the, picking up the hitchhiker? I think I've told it not many times. So I pick up this hitchhiker one time because I was an idiot. We're driving down the road. I'm in Bible college. I'm all fired up, man. Jesus. I said, hey, bud, let me ask you a question. I said, man, if you were to die today, you're 100% sure you'd go to heaven or would there be some doubt? This guy starts thinking I'm going to kill him. <laughs> he thinks like a serial killer's picked him up. Man, don't kill me. I'm like, what are you talking about? Man, we get to a stop sign. He gets out of the car and takes off. <laughs> had so much zeal, but I had no love. 
You know what I should have done? I should have picked that guy up and took him wherever he needed to go. Should've, the guy on my phone said, hey, man, you need help in the future. Let me know. I should have showed that guy I loved him with my actions, and maybe it would have opened the door one day for me to share Jesus with him. Not, hey, you don't know me, here's Jesus. And they really, in Bible college, didn't care if they met Jesus. Really what they cared about is could you convince them to say a prayer? I could sell ice to an Eskimo baby. We actually won awards who get the most prayer. I won every week. Can you say, I, I, my mood was I stick my foot in the door. <laughs> Tell you what, man, if you just say this prayer with me real quick, I'll leave. Okay. I look back now and I think, man, what, what a joke of the gospel. What a mockery. But we serve people regardless of whether they deserve it. And here's the deal. They all deserve it. Because we deserve it. The Bible says this. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Jesus bringing the disciples together. He knows he's about to die. Having loved his own who in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. The evening meal was in progress. And the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Don't miss this, verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from his meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Don't miss this, don't miss this, don't miss this. He sets 12 disciples around him. God had, or the devil had already prompted Judas to betray him. Jesus already knew Judas was going to betray him. And Jesus got up and wiped the towel, or wrapped the towel around his waist, got on his knees. He began to wash the disciples' feet. That was very key. They'd been traveling all. They wore sandals and the roads were dirty. So they all had dirty feet. So it was customary of the lowest person to wash the feet. Where they could sit down and have clean feet. But Jesus, the highest standing, got down and he cleaned the feet. Including Judas's. Judas had clean feet too. Then they got up and they ate a meal together. Judas ate too. Jesus served him even though he didn't deserve it. See, when you see people as people, you begin to serve people as people. I always think it's, I don't think it's funny, I think it's sad actually. When we do an outreach here, we'll give out food. It happens the most when we give out turkeys at Thanksgiving. And someone will come and they'll get a turkey meal and they'll leave and they'll come back and get another one. That is not what I think sad. What I think sad is there's a few people here that they let it ruin their whole night. They're getting a second turkey. Got 1,500 freaking turkeys. It's okay. Or... It's my favorite. They just pulled up in a Cadillac. Mm -hmm. You know that I got a friend of mine who lost his job about two months ago? Lives in about a $450,000 house. Has two new cars. And just because he lost his job two months ago doesn't mean he can get rid of his cars and his houses. But he's in need as much as anybody. 
You don't know the circumstances. But some of them are taking advantage. Probably so. That's between them and God. Our job is to love. Our job is to serve. And if you're going to nitpick it every time and let it take away because they don't deserve it, then let's just not do it because you take the joy out of it. It's miserable. I'm sure there's been times I've taken advantage and didn't deserve to be loved. I posted a video this week of Steve Harvey. I don't know if you saw it. Steve Harvey was in his show, and they brought up this family on the thing. I guess it was Steve Harvey's birthday, and they brought up this couple on the screen. And I guess this couple loved on Steve Harvey when he was 26 and he had nothing. Steve Harvey just breaks down. You don't know this family. I've been looking for this family when I had nothing. They were there for me. And I tagged because only two on the, there's the daughter and the wife. The husband's not on Facebook. And I tagged them in the post, and I said, man, you guys were this for me. Because when I lost everything, and I was public enemy number one in Canton, Georgia, and when I probably didn't deserve it, they were on vacation. Called me and said, where are you at? I said, I'm just driving around town. They said, where are you staying tonight? I said, I don't know where I'm staying tonight. I'm probably going to get a hotel. I said, but man, I don't have access to my checking account. I don't have access. So I, 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 I'm good for about a week. And they said, no, you're going to go to our house. And I, they said, here's the code to the door. And they said, you're going to move into our basement. And you're going to stay in that basement as long as you want to stay there. And it had a kitchen and a bathroom and everything. And I pulled into the neighborhood. I'd never been to their house before in my life. And I lived there for almost six months. And I remember thinking to myself, man, this is the most beautiful house I've ever seen. Imagine that people are this blessed. It all came full circle. Back in December, we buy a house in the same neighborhood. Story of God's redemption. But they loved on me when I was unlovable. And they served me when I was not worthy of serving. I, at that time, had taken a job inspecting roofs, just like everybody in America. Especially at that time, man, huge storms had come through. And I go on the third day of the job, and I said, man, I come home, I said, I can't work with this guy anymore. I'm like, why? I said, I said this guy's a crook. I said, he's showing me how to make hell on a roof. And I said, man, my reputation is already ruined. I, I can't do this. i got to find something else. I said, what do you think about that industry? I said, I, I said it's easy money. I said, it's probably the quickest way for me to get on my feet, but I can't do it. I said, what do you think of take to start your own company? I said, man, it can't be that hard. Probably 25 grand because you got to float some money. This family pulled out a checkbook and they said, go start your own company. And pay us back when you can. I didn't deserve that. That family put food on my table for two years. They allowed me to have time on my kids for two years. They gave me a place rent-free for six months and got upset when I moved out. I said, you don't have to let it leave. That's what happens when you see people instead of problems, and then you serve them regardless of where they deserve. I didn't deserve it. I deserved all the abuse I was getting. I had screwed up, but they loved me no matter what. 
Loving people is an action. You cannot serve people and not love them. It's impossible. You can do it temporarily. That's why some of you... (laughs) That's why some of you make it 30 minutes at Thanksgiving before you get mad. Because you can do it for 30 minutes, but then you get mad because you don't love people. But when you're there for four hours and you're still serving and you're still loving, and yes, people have taken advantage and people have complained. I tell you what, man, you'll be generous to people and they'll complain. I have just learned that. But you love people. Some of the most vile people to me in my life have been the people I helped the most. Guess what? We still help people. We still love people. We still serve people. Because that's what we're called to do. We're called to love our neighbor as ourselves. In the name of love, it's why we've been left here. This world needs some love. I'm not trying to be a little hippie. Love everybody, hug out, but we're to love. The church ought to be about love. Everybody that walks through these doors ought to be accepted. That doesn't mean we don't preach on sin. It doesn't mean that we don't hold people accountable. Matter of fact, Holding people accountable is love. Because I love you, I want what's best for you. Society's broken what love is. We think love is just accepting and letting people do whatever they want to do. And of course, we can't stop people from doing things. But we're to love no matter what. We take our stand. Jesus, <laughs> Jesus never became sin to connect with sinners. He just loved. The Bible said they were drawn to him. When you love people, that leads to you serving people. And when you serve people, you're showing that you love people. And you'll impact people's lives. That's what we're called to do. It's not our job to change people. Newsflash for you. It's our job to love people. I think it was, I'm, I might butcher this quote, but when Bill Clinton went through all his stuff, the first person that got on a plane and flew to him was Billy Graham. And Billy Graham took a beating from the church world for going to love on the president. And people said, why would you go to him? He was having sex in the Oval Office. Billy Graham said, it's God's job to judge. He says, the Holy Spirit's job to convict. He says, it's just my job to love. What a sad state of affairs that when someone hits rock bottom and someone loves on them, the church attacks them for it. That's when we're supposed to love. It's easy to love and it's easy to serve when they have it all together. When you're beneficial to me. But when you've screwed up, when you've rolled me, when you've hit rock bottom, that's where love becomes serving and it takes action. Man, the Christian army is the only army that delights in shooting itself. 
There's literally churches in this community still to this day. People attend these churches for decades, get a divorce, and they're ostracized. Give me a break. We've got to love. That's why we're here. Love your neighbor as yourself. Last and I'm done. What else I've learned? We love how we want to be loved. <laughs> this has changed my life. I try to love people the way I want to be loved. I know what it's like to lose everything and have nobody there for you. I'll never allow that to happen. I don't share this story in a bragging way. I share it to just tell you my heart in this. When I lost everything, social media was not, it was the beginning of social media. Matter of fact, Christianity Today magazine wrote an article about it. The first pastor in the social media age to fall was me. Facebook really wasn't a thing at that time. Twitter was huge, though, and blogs were huge. So I lose everything, and more of the bloggers went to town. But four pastors were ruthless to me would not stop. Almost every week it was a new blog post and a new article and a new this. I mean, just ruthless to me. I started Action Church. It started all back up again. All four of those men, over the next five years, lost their marriages to the same things they bashed me for. Now, I don't say it like... And I made it a point to be the first, to be as quick as I could to be the first one to reach out to him. Not to brag, not to gloat. Hey, it's Gary Lamb. This is my phone number. I've been where you're at, and if you need anything, let me know. I'm going to be honest with you. I wish I could tell you I did that because I'm so godlike or so Christ follower like, whatever you want to say. I just did it because I knew what it was like to be where they were. And as much as they hurt me, and as much as they attacked me, I wouldn't have wished that pain on my worst enemy. I knew that everyone they thought was their friends would no longer be there for them. And I wanted them to know, man, I'm here for you. Two of them never responded one time. I knew they got the message. Two of them I still in regular contact with years later. Why? Because that's how I would have wanted to be loved. That's how I would have wanted to be treated. I already knew I'd messed up. Ain't it funny when you mess up, people come up, well, you really screwed up. Well, no joke. I'm living in a basement. I got four pairs of clothes. I didn't, what? I didn't know that. I got $37 in my name. Thank you. I'm on the front page of the paper. I went to Chick-fil-A the other day and went through the drive-thru and saw them all whispering about me. I messed up? Shucker. Thank you for educating me. They don't need to tell. They already know they've messed up. You just come along and love. There's just power in loving people. And we do it because in the name of love, Christ loves us when we don't deserve to be loved, when we're not worthy of love, when we've screwed up, he loves us. 
we beat ourselves up over our mess-ups in Christ. Like, well, I forgot about it. You, I already forgave you. What are you talking about? I like to hang it over people's heads. Are you Gary Lamb? Oh, man, blah, blah, blah. Don't worry. We forgive you. I don't care if you forgive me. I don't mean that in a jerkish way. I'm not trying to be an a-hole. I don't care. Or how about, man, I love you. Thank you for what you did in my life. I'm here for you. I'll never forget, I'm going to end with this story right here. I walk in the Waffle House one day, and I got shorts on. And I'm tattooed from here all the way down on my leg. And this guy that I had known forever, junkie, lost everything, had come to this church since I've been the pastor of this church. I mean, God had done amazing work in his life. Amazing work in his life. Got clean, married, got his life together. And I walk in his face like, he's Gary. Hey, what's up, buddy? Man, I want you to meet my mom. I want you to meet my mom. She looks at me. She says, are you Gary, are you Pastor Gary? I said, I'm just Gary. She said, boy, I've prayed for my son for years, and God used you. And then I noticed her eyes glance down. She said, you know what the Bible says about tattoos? Literally. I said, well, I know what Leviticus says, and you take the Bible in context. That's an abomination to God. I'm like, okay. I'm just trying to defuse the situation. We're in the Waffle House now. She looks at me and she goes, you can't go to this church anymore. I said, ma'am, you have a good day. And I said, good to see you, buddy. I walk away. But I thought to myself, what a judgmental, religious, maybe not such a nice word. More worried about the exterior of what she deemed wrong than the fact that her kid who was a junkie she'd been praying for years had got his life cleaned up through the ministry of this church God had chosen to use this church. It's our job to love. No strings attached, love. And we love the way we want to be loved. We serve those who don't deserve to be served. And we realize everybody is unlovable at times. We love anyway. In the name of love, that's why we're still here. Let's pray.